You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Bearstyle Podcast. On a Monday, we have to put a bow on the 2023 regular season for USC football. And we're going to do that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com, for all of his content. And yes, the Trojans, after preseason number five ranking and a 6 0 start, where they looked a little shaky, but they were still undefeated. Lose five of the last six down the stretch to finish with seven and five uh, by week for the holidays, for the Thanksgiving holiday, which is great. Kind of uh, regroup a little bit and then find out uh, Sunday where they will go bowling. No Pac-12 championship, no college football playoff, no Heisman Trophy, none of that stuff. All the expectations coming in the season that were very high, uh, not even close. So losing five of your last six, Going one and five down the stretch, and the two wins that you had in that area also were very close at the end. One point win, so it's uh, it was a disappointing season for sure. We got to talk about it with the coach Harvey Hyde and the game, the disappointing game on Saturday. USC losing uh, to UCLA, thirty-eight to twenty. If you have questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at four two four two five four nine one four one. That's the number. We got a bunch of voicemails today. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app, you can follow us and leave us a five-star rating and review. We love it. We got a whole bunch of ratings uh, that have come through. Too many to read on one show. We'll uh, we'll kind of, you know, I'll read a couple of them for you guys, but uh, there's just a lot that we're going on. We appreciate it. But big data, big problems, left a five-star review. Great podcast network. Love all the shows. He says a special shout-out to the Helium and Cilantro Boys. So that's... Uh, Chris Trevino, Shotgun Spratling, and Gerard Martinez. Uh, thanks for that. And then um, for Emmett, left a five-star review. Um, so he was talking about the Oregon game. He said, a game they could have won. Oregon was up 36 to 14 in the fourth, and the Ducks had the ball at the USC 18. Um, so he kind of goes on a little bit about uh, this was not a game that USC could have won, and I would uh, agree with him there. It got closer at the end, but it wasn't really uh, that close. But anyway, if you left a review, we do appreciate it very much. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. And I will read a couple more as we go, just we've got so many. Um, but thank you. Uh, that was a great, uh, great surprise to see. All right. Well, we got the coach uh, on the line, Coach Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, sir? 
Coach, uh, I'm calling you coach now because I hear you talking and you're coaching up the people, so I'm going to call you coach too because uh, it's a great show that we've done the entire football season. I've enjoyed it. I enjoy all our listeners out there. I thank them for all their questions. And, and uh, well, it's a time of year that uh, we're supposed to be celebrating uh, a lot of things, St. Giving and the holidays and the new year coming in and Obviously, it's a different type of celebration if you're a football fan because you'd be buying new sweatshirts and buying more hats to wear and all of the above with USC on it and so on. But I think it's a period of time. At least uh, you're putting your hat away that you wear around. You're putting your sweatshirt away that you wear around at the country club or the coffee shop. And you're saying, well, maybe next year I can wear it. Because uh, you uh, like to show off your colors and you like to say, yeah, we did. We won. We beat uh, UCLA. We beat the Bruins. We had a great football year. And all of the uh, bragging rights to go along with it. But it hasn't been that type of year. I went out Friday night to dinner and uh, was sitting there with people who stopped by and said, Coach, what do you think tomorrow? What do you think about this? They all had their USC sweatshirts and hats on and so on. They were all anticipating a great victory for the Trojans, and it didn't happen, and I think that just puts everybody in shock more as far as questioning what's going on at USC with the football program and all of the above. So I think we'll open it with that, Ryan, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure, Coach. Uh, I think a lot of USC fans were expecting um, a victory over a UCLA team that was reeling. They had scored 17 points total in two games and then uh, the USC defense comes and uh, they look great again. Ethan Garbers for um, UCLA had never thrown, you know, three touchdown passes in a game. He does that. Um, TJ Harden, the uh, UCLA running back had one game where he had a hundred yards. Um, you know, he gets his career high for 22 carries, 142 yards. He had not done that before. Um, so it's his first game he's ever had that he had a rushing TD and a uh, receiving touchdown. Just seems like week after week, coach, that if you're a struggling offense, you can get by. You can get right by playing this USC defense, and uh, it's disappointing. Another disappointing effort, and you know, firing the defensive coordinator a couple weeks ago didn't seem to help very much. Um, but yeah, thirty-eight points for the Bruins. They had. Eclipsed the 28-point mark in Pac-12 play, Coach, just one time. That was when they scored 42 on Stanford. And they scored 38 and kneeled down at the end. They probably could have scored more. So that's a you know disappointing effort from the defense, but you know from the entire team. Well, it's disappointing everywhere as far as on the performance of the offense, too. We can get in that. I can, I'd love to talk about those techniques and all of that. I don't know how long we have if we're going to take all the questions. But again, UCLA did what it had to do to win, uh, force a lot of turnovers. And you're not going to win football games with penalties and turnovers at the wrong time, especially when there's momentum going on either side of the football. But they had that going on. Uh, I didn't see them come on the field with the energy level that really meant that much. And I hate to say that because it's hard to believe that it couldn't mean that much. I mean, UCLA seemed to have more of the uh, desire and excitement and execution and so on that the sideline had on the USC side. Uh, uh, Kelly is more of an, uh, a different type of professional coach than Lincoln is. Lincoln does it all himself, running up and down the sideline. I don't see him communicating much with anybody but himself and maybe Kingsbury occasionally. Uh, I, it just seems like there's two different philosophies on how you can win a football game. And, uh, obviously, uh, people anticipated, as you said, a better season. And so when that doesn't happen, you start looking at why, what, what's the reasons? Is it the coaching? Is it the players? Is it the schemes? Why you rank six in the country? You rank number one to win the pack. 12 by the media and everything. You say, why? How can this happen? Well, there's got to be a reason for all of that. And uh, you either overrated the uh, personnel or the coaches aren't 
the players aren't getting better. They're not getting coached up. Or maybe the offense doesn't fit the personnel or there's not enough offense to keep the defense balanced or the defense doesn't have the right schemes and the other opponents have discovered what the weaknesses are of the defense and take advantage of it and it's really not corrected. For one reason or another, maybe the players aren't good enough to correct it or maybe the coaches aren't teaching right or whatever. But there's always a reason why people think you're supposed to be pretty good and then you don't end up being very good. And UCLA took or allowed a quarterback that isn't a great quarterback, a great kid that executed what they asked him to do, but kept USC's defense off balance the whole day. Why? Because they could run the football. And how long have you heard me talking about running the football with different schemes and balancing it out and all of this, but USC is an air raid attack, and I can't believe it being anything else but that. I've seen it the last six or ten years at USC when they end up starting to the game, I don't know how many passes in a row they threw. I think they had one running play, and that didn't work very well. So they already surrendered or told the team, we can't run the football. And uh, all of a sudden, that that's one part of your offense you've uh, given up on. Yet you have some pretty good running backs, I would say, but do you have the run design on your in your offensive attack to take advantage of the entire field and stretch the field where UCLA would be forced to cover the whole field with backside action and different things that are happening and uh, can't just uh, dominate the fronts. And what happened in this game, the offensive line was dominated by the defensive front of UCLA and vice versa. And uh, when you lose in the trenches, you lose a football game, okay? And uh, it really was sad to see offensive linemen look clumsy, not blocking the right schemes, being out of position, uh, telling your quarterback, look out, was that the type of block they gave him? And uh, having to have a new name now, it's not the air raid attack any longer for the offense, it's, it's a, uh, an offense that I've watched over the last couple years and I just call it uh, the crazy offense. Just uh, make a play. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It uh, Everything is on the run. And even the 73-yard pass to Rice was a, a broken play offense. So it's a broken play offense where Caleb is doing everything he can to save his life so he doesn't get hurt, plus trying to make plays. And it's been the story the entire year. And uh, I feel sorry for him. I think he did everything. I think he's a winner on the field, but he can't do it by himself. And he needs help from the coaching staff. He needs help from his fellow teammates, the whole thing. And a lot of pressure is put on him. And uh, I think it's very difficult uh, to win a football game that way. You can make a great player by having the great players around him perform with him and involve them in the offense and have the offensive line be able to understand you've got to run the football and block people and do the things that are necessary. And on the defensive side, the same type of thing. Linebacker play has been poor the entire year. They've really never had a scheme of what they're doing or make the plays that are necessary. Occasionally a linebacker will make a play and they talk about it for three weeks. They're supposed to make those type of plays every week. So that's basically a summary of where we should kick this off and then Ryan, we'll go from there, and if you want to talk about other topics, we certainly can. I don't want to ramble on forever, but uh, we could. No, I get, I get it, Coach. I think you touched on some points. I mean, that we, you know, I mentioned the defense being bad. It's been bad all year. It never really got better, and you, you touched on that. But really, offensively, you know, the uh, the offensive line did not play well. Um, it's been a you know the trenches have been a problem for USC on both sides of the ball, like you mentioned, and Caleb Williams is a winner, but there's only so much one person can do. And it seemed like that was the offense where you're letting him kind of to go at it. Um, I've had an issue with special teams too. And I know you, you touched on that where, you know, in this game, you missed a short field goal. You uh, had a kickoff return again, so many kickoff returns coach that were starting inside your 25. This one with a penalty USC started on the six and the, you know, first play, 
Uh, you you know, Lloyd tries to get outside, fumbles, and UCLA scoop and scores it. So, like, you put you backed yourself up, and you essentially gave UCLA a score, and that started with a poor special teams play. If you just get the ball to 25, that, that probably doesn't happen. Uh, you also had a kickoff out of bounds where you give UCLA great field position. So, giving a bad offense great field position, obviously you don't want to do that either. So, it's it just seems like this over and over and over again, Coach, that the special teams um, – I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. We don't get to watch, so I can't tell you it wasn't a priority. A lot of the times we watched under Clay Helton, they spent a lot of times, a lot of time, you know, spent on special teams, and they were still bad. I would rather you just don't spend any time on special teams if you're going to be bad, but you need to spend time on special teams to get better at it. We don't know how much time they spend, what kind of resources are put in. Uh, There's only one analyst that's overseeing all of it, but, you know, all the assistant coaches have a little piece Maybe the answer is having a full-time special teams coordinator. Maybe it's just having more people involved. I don't know, but I feel like the structure of how Lincoln Riley has special teams is not working, and you need to do something different. So I don't, I, I don't know what you think about it, Coach. Well, I agree with you, Ryan. I'll tell you, it's amazing why every almost every team in the country has a special teams coach, but at USC they don't. And if you don't, what kind of message are you passing on to your players on how important special teams are? They're very important. And why do you need an extra coach on either side of the football when you should be able to get it done? How many uh, receiver coaches do you need? I mean, uh, I think that if you're doing your job, you can coach the receivers. I mean, you've got an inside receiver coach, an outside receiver coach. I mean, you've got a head coach, you've got a quarterback coach, you've got a running back. I mean, how many coaches do you need on the offensive side of the football? I mean, one receiver coach should be able to put together the entire schemes of what's necessary in a meeting or whatever, or find a place to have a special teams coach, which is a full-time assistant coach, which shows the importance of it. And you go out and get one of the top, doesn't have to be a young guy, but a guy that's been in the pros, NFL, seen it all, knows how to teach. Uh, uh, special teams, because special teams is where it's all your field position, your decision by your receivers, the fair catch, when to do what. So uh, somehow that's been something that isn't necessary at USC, and it certainly has proven out to be the wrong thing with the field positions that you mentioned and all of the above. But these are the things, I, 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 if we got into the staffs, I don't know what we're getting into where why you put a staff together without a special teams coach and also the future of the USC's coaching staff changes and whatever and when those changes are going to be done and when is a defensive coordinator going to be named and all these things because I've got a philosophy of what I would be doing and I don't know what you want to share here this morning on Monday morning with your listeners if it's what I want to say and you want to hear or it's Shall we answer their questions? Because I would tell you exactly all the things that I would do to sort of tape back together this program to satisfy the fans, uh, the media, uh, the recruits, uh, the players you want to keep. Uh, I don't know uh, in the portal what's going to happen with the receivers. They don't play. They rotate. They play freshman pain. They play these players that never play. I, I don't know what they're doing in a big game, biggest game of the year for them. Not that they don't play well, but what is this, an intramural program? I mean, you got to get out there and play your best players and get it done. And if they don't have better players on the offensive line of what they have and the way they perform, especially on the right side of the line, man, you're in trouble. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, we talked before uh, we went on the air, and you talked about, the party's over. Um, it's yeah. It's it's one of those things where when the expectations are so high, and you feel like this is a team with the best player in college football that got more talented and can build on a great first season for Lincoln Riley. Uh, it just didn't happen. Um, I mean, it was a really difficult season for fans. I'm sure it was for the coaches and the players. I mean, even for us covering the team, it's just you know thinking that this team was going to be good and they weren't good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I felt like Lincoln Riley was 
you know, he would try to be optimistic in his post-game press conference stuff. And then, you know, against UCLA, it was a little bit more of that, like the party's over kind of thing. Like we stunk, we got to get better. And uh, I think it just took a while to kind of realize that, man, this is not the team that uh, I think Riley wanted it to be, that he thought it could be, that, you know, a lot of people thought it could be. It just wasn't there. And uh, it's unfortunate, but you're, like you said, the party's over. Yeah, the party's over because people are, are. Um, I don't want to use the, the term fed up, but I think they're at a point when you leave the game early in a UCLA game, you, you figure, well, they're not going to do it. And what happens when you lose football games, or you lose in anything, it becomes easier to lose. You get used to it. The fans get used to it. The players get used to it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't mean as much. You don't cry as much. Uh, it's a whole different story. It's a whole different locker room. It's a whole different press conference. It's all different. And uh, and uh, that's what they have to do. They have to stop the bleeding here somewhere. Or everybody's going to bleed out. You're not going to have the support, the contributions, the recruits, the things that are necessary to maintain the momentum of this program. And uh, I keep hearing that you don't know how bad the program was when I took over here. Well, I don't know how bad it was, but you're the doctor. When you come in, uh, you've got to save the patient. And you've got to put a plan together to save this patient. And right now, this patient had a very bad year and uh, lost a lot of blood. Now, how are you going to give this patient a transfusion to recover. And I think that's what the plans are. People are waiting to see what is the, the changes? Does he, or do they recognize, or does the athletic director, or does the president recognize what's wrong? Is it the front office? Is it the staff? Is it the recruiting? Is it the strength coach? Is it nutrition? It's something that needs to be all reevaluated. Uh, is it the practice style? What is it that causes something to fail at this level at one of the top traditional football programs in America? Uh, you know, uh, and I've talked about it all the time, how many people really know what fight on means? You've heard me mention that when you hold up your finger and say, fight on. Or the, or the, or the uh, you know, traveler. What does traveler mean? Or what does a uh, salute to Troy mean? Or what are the things that are such great tradition at USC? Well, I think it starts with that, and I think it starts with uh, uh, people being educated. I mean, uh, not that Lincoln Riley doesn't know football, but does he know what it's all about at USC and his staff? There's so many people in the athletic department now that aren't from USC, or people don't recognize or talk to or can pick up the phone and call them and say, I need this, or how you doing, or they walk by somebody and People don't even know who they are or recognize them. It's all a part of tradition. It's all a part of, like I told you last week, how many remember where Julie's was and what happened there on Thursday night and the tailgates and when people used to be able to do a lot of different things that they don't do now. I think this has all got to be put back together where people understand. And it's not just that. It's what you're doing on the field. Uh, as far as with your football team and recruiting and everything else. One last thing, Coach, before we get to questions. Um, well, so we're still waiting to hear on the defensive coordinator hire. If you uh, aren't a member, go over to uscfootball.com. We posted a bunch of stuff on Monday about what we're hearing. It sounds like you know wheels are turning, and um, you probably will know sooner than you think, or sooner than rather than later. Um, and uh, so – you know, stay tuned for that. We'll see where USC, what direction Lincoln Riley and USC go. I want to talk about the bowl game because USC season is over. You have a bye week for uh, Thanksgiving weekend, but the rest of the Pac-12 is still playing right now. If you're looking at the standings, USC is at number five. Um, you know, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Oregon State are above them. Uh, Oregon State could potentially lose, but would still have a better overall record. Uh, Oregon State's five and three in conference. USC is five and four, but both UCLA and Utah, who will be favorites this weekend, 
are sitting at four and four and seven and four. So uh, if both UCLA and Utah win, they would have the same conference record but a better overall record. So USC would be seventh in the conference, L- lower half. That's uh, it's kind of disappointing, but um, you know, we'll see. But that's the sort of range that USC is in, and the Bulls aren't systematic like this is one, this is two. It's going to depend what happens at the top. Like if Washington, it looks like Washington or Oregon uh, would win, uh, get a, a college football playoff berth, uh, and move kind of, <coughs> excuse me, move things up a little bit, and like uh. Say Washington goes to the playoff, or can go could go to like the Fiesta Bowl or something. But right now, if you're looking at what USC, where USC could go, um, it's uh, you know it's not a great list, I guess um, you could say. USC, you know, in the the range of where the Trojans would end up, I think you're looking at something along the lines of the Sun Bowl in El Paso, uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. Or the LA Bowl. It seems like that's sort of the range that USC would be in. Um, and a lot of it has to do with instead of like number five goes here, number six goes here, just sort of like what's the geographic matchup? What's the desirability of uh, that team going there as far as travel and everything? USC could get dinged a little bit if Caleb Williams uh, decides to skip the bowl. He hasn't made any sort of announcement yet, but that's sort of like the range you're looking in right now, coach. So um, I don't know what your, your thoughts are, but that's, it seems like that's kind of where USC would probably be. Uh, I agree with you behind the scenes. There's always a lot of negotiation between the bowl games too. I don't know if people recognize this, but one executive director will talk to the other and they'll say that team played here. Uh, We don't want them. Can we trade with you on this choice and so on? And, uh, in Las Vegas, if they go there, they'll play probably a Big Ten team. And will the Trojan fans travel after the year they had? I don't think so. So maybe uh, the SRS Distribution Bowl will not want USC, but maybe somebody else. The same thing with all the other bowl games. The uh, Gronk uh, LA Bowl, uh, the winner of the Mountain West Conference, will play the fifth-place team from the Pac-12 if uh, they want that team in Southern California. And right now, if uh, UNLV continues to win, they'll win the Mountain West Conference, and they would play USC or whoever. So uh, there's a lot to be determined yet, and there's a lot to be determined yet on what's going to happen with the coaching staff at USC and when they're going to make those decisions, as you said shortly and how you would approach the bowl game, and Caleb Williams making a decision if he's going to play or not. All of these things enhance how you approach the bowl game and what you're going to try to accomplish in the bowl game and who should be coaching the bowl game and in what method that you want to get ready for the next season along with winning the bowl game, such as you've got 20 days of practice like a spring practice, and uh, why not have your new coaches coach it? so they can evaluate the players and find out what you're doing and build some new confidence and really make it an effort to win the bowl game. End the season with a win with your new coaching staff and so on. And if Caleb doesn't play, I'm not saying he's a blessing. I think he's a great kid, but I don't know if I would play if I was him, and you'd never hear me say this before. But I think he's done his thing. I think he's paid his dues, and he's done everything he can, and I think USC has to find out who is the next quarterback at USC and why shouldn't he get 22 days of practice or 20 days of practice so he can be evaluated and see how he looks and so on uh, for the next season when they open against LSU in Las Vegas. So there's a lot of things that need to be decided in a big hurry. And I think they ought to start working on that like if they didn't yesterday, they're too late. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Coach. Um I, I mean, obviously it hinges on what Caleb Williams decides to do. So I'm sure Lincoln Riley and Caleb have talked a lot and, you know, they might know the direction they're going. And so um, what we heard, there's not going to be practices this week. So they get the week off for uh, Thanksgiving, there's some lifting and stuff, and then back at it next week. So we'll probably hear something I'm thinking after the holiday when the bowl game's announced. If Caleb's going to play, if he's going to, you know, uh, forego any uh, eligibility and go to the NFL draft and all that. So it'll be coming up soon enough. But like you said, coach, I think you got to make decisions quickly. Um, okay. 
Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and start doing some questions. Back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you looking to advertise a campaign, short film, a public service announcement, an important message? Look no further than Regency Outdoor. We have been around since 1974 and have the greatest locations in Southern California for your advertising goals. Our creative billboards are sure to catch everyone's attention, make an impact anywhere and everywhere in Southern California. To get started and for more information, call 310-657-8883 or visit regencyoutdoor.com. Regency makes it easier than ever to get your message everywhere in Southern California. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I'm Ryan Abraham along with Coach Harvey Hyde. We got a bunch of voicemails to get to, so I think we'll start with that. We'll maybe mix in some emails and stuff too, Coach. We did get a a long voicemail. Um, It's funny. I I didn't leave a name, but he said he was going to time himself, make it quick, and keep it under two minutes. That's not the goal. The goal is not two minutes. We don't want to play a bunch of two-minute voicemails. So under a minute is what we're going for. Um, so thank you for the voicemail, but we just can't play anything that's over two minutes long and it end up being over two minutes long. Um, here's a question uh, for you, Coach. I'll play the first one. Hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. Dave from San Diego. You know, obviously, a very disappointing season. Um, but, you know, I really think Coach Raleigh is getting a big pass here where – um, people look back on what he's done in the past, but right now I don't think the team's responding to him. I don't think the team is motivated by him at all. Um, you know, I go to a lot of games and they just don't seem to be, um, inspired by him at all. So I think, um, it's a real problem. I think a lot of it goes to, uh, the leaders on the team too. There's no team leaders that I can think of, um, besides Caleb Williams. So anyhow, it's a little disappointment, but I, I'm, I'm disappointed by um, Coach Hyde's leadership skills, and I wish um, uh, maybe Coach Hyde could talk about how to how to how to motivate your team better than than been so far. Thanks a lot. Well, you know, I think um, Caleb Williams is a leader by the demonstration of how he plays on the field. I think everybody admires that. And you hear all the players talk about he's the one that gets us ready to play and he's going to make the big play and this and that. And I think they depend too much on that. Uh, Caleb will get it done. He'll find a way to win. And I think he shows his leadership on the field as far as an athlete and what he attempts to do. And sometimes he, he tries too hard and sometimes he's not getting the support he should do. If you watch the blocking and some of the things that are happening in schemes and so on. But uh, as far as me looking to the offense, the rest of it, I don't see any leaders either. I don't see anybody really leading the team. When you look at the team, how do you have so many rotations during the game and have that person be a leader? I mean, the receivers are going in and out every other play. Tight ends aren't utilized. It's basically a blocker. Running backs rotate all the time. So I don't know who the leader is on the offensive side of the football. There's somebody who's a captain, of course. Uh, but I think the captain on the offensive side of the football demonstrates it to his competitiveness and what he does, not necessarily a leadership as far as in the leadership role, which I think he does a great job. But they depend on him too much in the broken play offense to get it done, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. On the defensive side of the football, there's a lot of rotations. They never know what linebacker is going to start the game, but none of them really have played or been an outstanding year. You have a different set every week or whatever. That's because 
give someone else a chance or whatever. A lot of rotations in the defensive fronts, and they're all different players from a lot of different programs. So it's hard to pick somebody that came in in the portal last year and make him the captain of the team while others have been there for years. The secondary, uh, they're rotating all the time, so except for Bullock, there isn't anybody who really performs or plays all the time on the defensive side of the football, so you could consider him the leader on defense. Did he play up to the All-American expectations that everybody expected? I don't know. You judge that. But uh, I don't see any leadership, especially when you have so many different players on the defensive front and the linebackers that are all new. Who in the hell's a leader? They all feel like they're visiting. They haven't built a home yet at USC. They're still trying to find a real estate to build that house. So when you do that and you bring in so many different portal players and and things, uh, there's, uh, well, if I say this or I do that, what will people think of me and, and this and that? So I, I have to agree. I don't know who the leaders are. And Ryan, you're around more than I am, but on the defensive side of the football, there's so many transfers and portal players and that I don't even see any type of born leadership there because everybody's sort of new except for a couple backers and a couple down guys that play but don't play all the time. On the offensive side, um, I'm not I'm not sure just who deserves that uh, topic or uh, things because uh, the offensive line is the only people that stay intact except when they rotate Murphy or Somebody over there on the right side of the line, the left side of the line, has basically stayed the same the entire season. But I don't see anybody speaking out or I don't see anybody grabbing somebody or making some type of emotional movement uh, to get it done. So that's my answer. I don't have anything else to say on that. All right, Coach. Uh, we got a <clears throat> excuse me. We got an email from Chris in Phoenix. He says, Coach, you called it. You called it all year long. The inconsistent play calling, tackling, defensive and offensive scheming, and general lack of coaching on all sides of the ball has been USC's undoing of, uh, of one of the most promising seasons in over a decade. However, something else you've drawn attention to more than anyone else, the intangibles. You've drawn attention to Lincoln Riley's poor relations with the press, the boosters, the alumni, and the fans. Many fans would give Riley a pass in year two of a rebuild, if it weren't for those intangibles, he comes off as arrogant and aloof and our untrained eyes and ears can see and hear quite clearly. My question to you is, how do you fix this? What does Coach Riley need to do immediately besides winning to bring the alumni, the fans, the boosters back in the fold in support of his rebuild? He hasn't had he, he hasn't much time, I believe, because of these intangible issues. The, the hashtag fire Riley clamor is becoming louder. Thanks for all your honesty and your very pointed opinions. Uh, I look forward to this podcast every week. Chris in Phoenix. Well, I personally think that maybe the entire athletic department, coaching staff, and head football coach need a course in public relations. There isn't any as far as communicating with people, the media, alumni, public appearances, anything you see. Uh, expect, uh, well, Lincoln Riley is just personally protected too much. I mean, uh, I think that the president might have a little bit more pre uh, freedom than Lincoln Riley does, or maybe he didn't want the freedom. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable around people. But in Los Angeles, you've got to have that. You've got to be able to attend events. You've got to be able to speak at events. You've got to be a head football coach. USC expects uh, people to uh, to be at their uh, special events or out in the public and being a part of the community and uh, all of the above, and you really haven't seen that. And, Ryan, if you disagree with me, please let me know, or the people know. You're around it more than I am, but uh, to have a conversation with him, you've got to go through uh, the CIA, possibly, and go through a metal detector, because there isn't such that type of thing. It's uh, one, more, one more question, one more question. Even following the last game, I, I heard that. One more question. They're in an opportunity to get to know the guy or ask the questions, and you've got 20 media guys in there trying to ask a question or get a decent answer, and they're not even asked. The poor players, uh, they brought in two players. Only one player got one, one question. Why do you even bring them in there? 
I mean, it's embarrassing that you bring players to a press conference and you don't allow them to answer a question. Why do you bring them? So I think there's a, a lot that needs to be mended, and it's called public relations. It's talked about what's the role of a head football coach in the athletic department? What's the role of uh, walking through the practice gate and not being yelled at that I'm going the wrong way? Uh, all of those things, one more question, it can go on and on and on. And Ryan, I could talk about that all day. Yeah, no, coach. We've we've kind of talked about it before, but we appreciate the uh, the email there, and uh, thanks for sending that in. Here's another voicemail for you. Hey, this is Richard from uh, Huntsville, Alabama, calling right after the game. Uh, the inefficiency that has been uh, USC's trademark all year long just uh, showed again why Lincoln Wiley may not be the guy for the job. Uh, they haven't gotten any better. Uh, nothing, nothing was any good today, and. Uh, this is something I thought after watching USC football for 60 years that I would never say, but all of a sudden USC football is irrelevant. It's been that way for the last 10 years, and Lincoln Riley, unfortunately, is reminding me quite a bit of Paul Hackett. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, the way it's going, I don't know. And to go into the Big Ten next year, open up against LSU, and then with Michigan, uh, something's got to be done, and we, uh, we have to make – make good on, on, on something. So uh, I appreciate your guys' time, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys have some answers for what needs to be done. I don't. And like I said, after 60 years of football, the word irrelevant is the only thing I can say. Thanks a lot, and I enjoy the show. Take care. Bye. Way they well, coach. Uh, USA I was agree. pretty relevant last year. Well, I agree. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the 111 games. But uh, – Again, it doesn't have the image that it had before. I mean, it's always been thought of as one of the top college football programs in America. And uh, and I don't know if it has that distinction right now or within the alumni of the national scope and the, the vision of USC football. And I think the old-timers uh, miss that. And I think the school misses that. I think that... And you've heard me use this all the time. Why is Parrot's Day? Why is homecoming? Why are they all during the football season? Because it's supposed to be a gathering of fun and enjoyment. And it hadn't been that. And uh, I don't think people realize how important a football program is to USC. I mean the current people. And uh, what it means to the university. What it means to everybody that's been a Trojan. Ryan, like yourself. That when you wear the colors of USC, it's prideful. You wear it, you mean it, and when people look at you, they're envious of you. They don't like you because you got everything. Got a great degree. Yeah, it's hard to get in. You line up and beat their butt in every sport. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like, who are those guys? They're arrogant. Everybody's against USC. Everybody's got to beat USC, and I'm just giving you my opinion, okay? And I think there's a lot of pride in that, and bragging in the country clubs, wear your hat in there, and Look at the UCLA guy and say, see, I told you. Told you, my man. Give me the $100 we bet. I think they get tired of paying now, and uh, I don't know how many of them really bet on the Trojans any longer because they don't believe in it. They don't know if they can win or not. Look how hard it was to pick on who was going to win the game. I don't know who you picked or anybody else picked, but it was what team's going to show up and who's going to outcoach each other and and uh, all of that. So there isn't that dominance that was once there. And I think when Terry Donahue had his run at six or eight in a row against USC, that that became something people couldn't stand. And uh, now it's the opportunity of, of getting back under Lincoln Riley. It's one and one. But the uh, future of the program right now is being questioned, and I think that's what it's all about. And uh, and I don't think people really recognize the real people out there. Plasky does. And these other people have been around a long time. Of uh, What college football means to the West Coast and the L.A. area and to the nation regarding the television revenue and the numbers of television revenue and what it means to the Big Ten. And I think a lot of this has to do on where he hires his coaches from, too. And the knowledge of where they are and where they're going to be playing and who's going to be recruiting those areas. But now you're a national recruiter again. But don't forget about home. Coach, we got another uh, email for you. West Texas Mike 
Uh, he says, I'm at a loss, Coach Hyde. To give Lincoln Riley credit, he beat his rivals last year. He beat his rivals in the Big 12 and won the conference, even against teams that got two shots at him in one season. But outside of Big 12 play, a win against Ohio State and a win against a reeling Florida team, he's uh, appearing more and more to be so pedestrian. Thanks to poor coaching decisions, Lincoln Riley squandered a win against Georgia. He got hammered by Alabama and then LSU. He saw his little brother's team beaten unmercifully by Georgia in the title game last season. Given all that, how can Lincoln not understand that football is a tough, physical, demanding sport? Nothing needs to be prioritized more than size, physical toughness, and violent speed. Up close, he's seen better than many of us uh, what the championship standard is. So why did this Trojan team come out week after week looking as if they expected to line up for a little game of flag seven-on-seven from West Texas Mike? Well, you know... It's not what you've done in the past is what you're doing now and what you're going to do in the future. Not that you don't recognize those accomplishments. You always do. But, uh, you know, every, when you're at the top, everybody tries to beat you. And they tell their administrators, well, i got to have what they have. And then it starts to close the gap. And then all of a sudden, people are equal with you. And they've got the great players and everything else. And uh, people have closed the gap on USC. And he's got to come in and... So to separate that gap again, and right now, currently, we haven't seen that. Well, he's getting paid $10 million a year to do that and know how to do that. And Mike Bone and him, uh, I hope, uh, uh, had that discussion, and uh, and it's uh, up to him to do that. Now, you know, I'd certainly like to hear what his story would be on what he's looking at and what he thinks the weaknesses of the program are, why they're the weaknesses of the program, and why the portal is so important and will he go a portal this year and what about the local recruiting and all the above, but there isn't those type of interviews that go on and I don't know if they should go on. But everybody's waiting to see what changes are made in the program at USC so they can agree or disagree and all of the above, but all of us have an opinion that are close to the football program on what we think uh, changes should be as far as making it happen. So I guess because of the protection of the program and no one really knowing on what's happening in the program, that uh, it's impossible to know. So what we do is we wait and see what his thoughts are. And uh, I think that's what we're all waiting for because really there isn't really anything being shared with us. Yeah. All right. Here's a uh, kind of along those lines. I'm going to play you this voicemail. Hey, Ryan, Coach Hyde, how you doing? It's Riker from the East Coast. So there's a lack of toughness and physicality throughout the organization. It starts from the head coach, and it goes all the way down to the guy that scoops out the protein powder at the training table. And Ryan, you said in the past that Riley is uh, young and smart. We need to give him time to make some changes. I, I have very little hope and confidence that he'll make the changes you need here. He, he runs this organization like he's prepping the team for a 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. It's his identity. And bringing Kingsbury and waiting so long to fire Grinch just highlights that, you know, along with the uh, couple plays away and the untrained eye and all that other nonsense. Yesterday, big fourth and two at the USC 37 to start the fourth quarter. What do we do? We need two yards. That was essentially the game right there. We go five wide, empty backfield. As Coach Hyde says, there's no tight end in sight. There's no fullback, nothing. Williams throws out to the flat. UCLA defender sheds the block. And makes a nice open field tackle. It's like they're playing a different brand of football at UCLA. Excuse me, UCLA it was yesterday. And uh, it's going to get worse when it gets to the Big Ten. And you're bringing Oregon along with you. So uh, this team, skip the bowl game, go over to Coliseum, line up, do a bunch of Oklahoma drills for two hours at a time, and have Riley and Kingsbury take off the sunglasses, take off the visors, and put some pads on and do some drills with them. You need to instill some toughness some physicality it's a total mindset change and you got to strip it down to the studs before you build anything back all right i'm all riled up but guys have a happy and safe thanksgiving with you and your families take care Bye. well thank you very much i said uh, i think you said it very uh, thorough uh we've covered those points during the year as far as unsound pass blocking if you're getting rushed and uh, you can't block up front then you better go to two backs or do something else to be able to utilize uh, 
uh, the breakdown of the pass blockings. And uh, if you watch the backs pass block, when they did have a one remaining back or so on, uh, very poor pass blocking. Uh, turn your back. Don't take a guy on square. I mean, all the little techniques. Uh, are they teaching these things or are they just going through drills? I, I don't know. Watch the films. Go back and watch the films. Uh, as a coach, you know what techniques are supposed to be taught and how you pass block or how you step up or do the different things. And and as he mentioned, the tight end, uh, like they're not even around. Uh, uh, I don't know. You've got to be able to adjust to what people are doing to you. And I don't see that type of adjustment at all. And you're correct 100% that the toughness I feel. Now, this is me. I feel is lacking. It's not like the players aren't playing hard. They just haven't taught to be the hammer and not the nail. And I think that comes through uh, your head football coach, the leadership, your attitude, who your head football coach is. They play with his personality. Remember, Football teams play with the head coach's personality. Who is this guy? And uh, if you look around at some of the top programs in America, you'll see the personality of the head football coach is someone you don't want to mess with. All right, we got another email, Coach. This is from Stephen Poway. He says, given the trajectory of the USC football team losing five of the last six do you think they should decide not to go to a bowl game and just focus on hiring the best defensive coordinator and recruiting A-list talent on the offensive and defensive lines? I mean, what do they have to gain from a bowl game at this point? And what if they get blown out by a very low-ranked opponent in a forgettable bowl? Remember the Sun Bowl? Stephen Poway. You're right on everything, but there are some advantages and there are some disadvantages. First of all, you're taking a chance by going to a bowl game by being embarrassed. Exactly right. Especially if your team does not want to play. If your team just wants a season to get over with, then yeah. It could be very, very embarrassing. But again, you'll be giving up about 20 days of practice, like I mentioned before, and you need that practice at USC. But you don't need it if you're going to be doing the same things, which is nothing under, you know, a staff that's going to be maybe fired or moved on and You know, the coaches are going to be looking for jobs, too. I mean, if you're a defensive coach and you haven't been told what's going on, where are you going to spend most of your time? Looking for a job for your family or so on or coaching for a bowl game that doesn't mean that much to you? Same at the offensive side if there's coaching changes going on. But the thing that's the best is the practice that you get. And you need to practice. You need to look at next year's team. But there's a lot of rebuilding that's going on. And maybe, like I mentioned earlier, you got to take a good look at Miller Moss, you've got to take a good look at all your younger players. And I would definitely, if I had my new coaches hired, and they could be there, and uh, that would be something I'd have to have, I want them coaching this bowl game so they can practice, know their players, know what they need, get involved in recruiting so that players know there's been a change there and there's going to be a different philosophy, and I do want to play for this defensive coordinator. And again, why not so, uh, select a defensive coordinator or coach it to from the Big Ten area? You're going to be playing in the Big Ten. So you need to have contacts in the Big Ten area. You've got to have coaches that know your opponents in the Big Ten area, whether it's the offensive side or the defensive side. You've got to become familiar immediately about the stadiums you're going to play in, the weather conditions, all of the above. So why not have coaches? that can walk into that area, walk into a coach's office, high school recruiting, and they know and they trust this coach as far as taking care of their kids. You've got to think about the new uh, area of now where your home uh, area is, as far as in the West Coast, Midwest, the whole thing. So I hope they're considering all of this as far as where they plan on recruiting their defensive coordinators from and there are some great defensive coordinators i'd go after iowa defensive coordinator right now and i'd just pay him how much you want or uh people back there who can uh that know the area that are thoroughly respected by everybody east coast west coast and players that are in the nfl and the whole package so there's got to be a real thought of when you put this together and have these coaches work with these kids during the bowl period and give these kids a reason why they want to play in the bowl game to impress the new coaches and win a football game and go through the off season with a little pride. 
So we'll see if that happens. I'm just waiting to see. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think getting those extra practices are important. And especially, like you said, if the new, co- new members of the coaching staff are in place and can kind of do some evaluations and help out with that, um, I think that's all uh, kind of important. Uh, we got one last voicemail, and we got a couple more emails to get to. Here's the last voicemail, Coach. John Archie from Pasadena, California. This is for anyone who wants to respond. Hello, Coach Hyde. We go a long way back. Coach Riley literally forfeited the success of this year's USC football team because of his friendship with his defensive coach, Grinch. Coach Grinch more than proved he was not an effective defensive coordinator while he was at Oklahoma. My question is, why would you name Coach Grinch as your defensive coordinator with his negative track record at Oklahoma? My point here is that a good coach up defensive team will win games and not friendships. I predicted that this year's USC football team would lose their last three games, and I was right. Coach Riley kept blowing smoke up to you-know-what of the USC fans by making unrealistic statements, or should I say excuses. The truth of the matter was, The defense was lousy. The tackling was atrocious. They couldn't keep anybody from scoring. On offense, they didn't run the ball consistently. This made it easy for the opposing team to defend against them. Coach Riley, you need to wake up and stop the smoke blowing. Go out and hire a good defensive coach who coaches lights out defense. All right, Coach. Well, Donald, uh, yeah. it's always great to hear from you, my man. Uh, let me tell you, sometimes it's because of insecurity. Uh, you want people around you you know. Uh, you don't want a bigger name. Uh, maybe it's your ego, whatever. And uh, he had worked with the guys he put on the jet with him to bring them. It was an easy way for him to uh, do it. Uh, he couldn't leave them behind. He was afraid they'd lose their job, their clothes, all of that. But you got to do what's best for the program. And when you come to USC, everybody's going to have an opinion. And it wasn't uh, long before they formed that opinion on the hiring of staff and also all above what happened. But uh, you've got to surround yourself with people that know more about certain areas of the game than you do. I used to love to hire coaches when I'd talk. I was a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, coach special special teams. I had an idea of people or an idea of my philosophy and other people's philosophies. of When I had a defensive coordinator, I wanted to hire a guy that I couldn't move the ball on. I couldn't figure him out. He messed me all up. If I could ever get that guy, I want him on my staff, man, I'll tell you. And he wasn't maybe a friend of mine. But, man, I couldn't score, maybe even couldn't beat him. So why not have that type of guy on my staff? Why not have him join us, be secretary of defense, put together a staff where his name and what he's accomplished is as good as what I've accomplished. And my theory was, you come with me and help me win. You might get my job, but we'll get your head coaching position out of this if we win. That's the way I used to tell him. That's the way I'd hire. And the same way on the offensive side, because or the defensive side, or the offensive side, was I the defensive coordinator. Who gave me more fits than anybody in the world, and I couldn't figure him out. He changed everything. We always got surprised. Told package, well, I want that type of guy that knows as much offense or more than I do because he can contribute to our staff. So we hire him, and then we build around him uh, the things that are necessary to give us a championship type of coaching staff. And I'm the chairman of the board being the head football coach and act like a head football coach. And if I have to call the plays fine, but, uh, sometimes it's better to be, uh, allowing some of those responsibilities to someone else and not being known as a guru offensive coordinator when you should be a guru head football coach and act like a head football coach and, and be like that with the public, the press, and everybody else, and say, okay, now I'm a head football coach. It's time to relinquish 
some of my duties. And if they don't get done, it's not as hard for me to get rid of somebody because I didn't, I'm not the godfather or whatever he is of his children or whatever. And so you have to look at these things this way. It's always good to have people that are good that you recognize. Uh, I always used always look at the equipment guy. I thought he was very important because he always used to know what was to talk in the locker room. And the equipment guy talks to everybody, and that's when they come off the field. So I always wanted my guy in the equipment room. And the trainer, it's very important also because they talk in the training room. So you want to have conference, conversations with those guys all the time on to keep the locker room and keep your staff. So I think it's, it's, and also as a head football coach, you have the respect of your coordinators on who you are and what your position is, that you have the power of hiring and firing or whatever else that goes along with it and making the discipline uh, decisions on your players and so on. And your players know you're the head football coach. Hey, when you get called to his office, wow, it better be something good. Yet, you put your arm around every player and you say, don't mistake kindness for weakness. I'm going to make the type of mistakes that I have to, or I'm going to make the type of decisions I have to do to what's best for the program. No one person is in more important than the entire program. And this is what my motto was. And uh, all the players understood that. All the coaches understood that. And we were all on the same page because we all wanted to win. And by winning, everybody got a ring. Everybody had the opportunity of improving themselves by pay raises, bonuses, head football coaching positions, the whole package. So I think that's what you have to do. This is my opinion, what you have to do in these type of coaching situations. All right, Coach, we got a couple more. We'll let you go. Appreciate all the insights. Uh, our buddy Dan, class of – he put 63, but he's always been 62, so I don't think that's changed. Uh, but he says uh, – what comes next? We owe Riley $80 million for the next eight years, and he's in denial about the condition of his coaching. The offense is as bad as his defense, and the defense and the overall team play has gotten worse as the year wore on. He's one of the worst coaches that I have seen because he's stubborn and unwilling to admit shortcomings and make adjustments. And he's doing poorly in recruiting. Please give an old man some hope for next year, if possible. Fight on from Dan. Well, I don't know. I'm not sitting in his desk, but, you know, he's in the big desk. That's his desk, and that's why he makes the money he makes what he makes, but supposedly he knows how to make these type of decisions, so allow him to do it. And if he can't do it, then you got to make a decision on what the future of the football program is. And uh, who knows? That's for the administration over there and for them to make that type of decision on what's best for the USC football program. And it's also, what do they want? What does Carol want? What does the athletic director want? If she had stayed at Washington, she would have been at a program that might be in the, the playoffs. So how do you get a team to that period? How do you find that type of uh, program? You've got your head football coach. You, you know, you're giving him uh, all the money you're giving him, which I think uh, in the future is going to be a new way. And we'll do that for some other time as far as how they're going to pay coaches. And, uh, uh, that's what they're there for. And that's what he's getting the money for to make those type of decisions on how to stop the bleeding. I said that earlier. So if he doesn't know how to do that, then you got the wrong guy. So that's the best way to say it. So you better, uh, figure out how it's going to be happen or have somebody consult you to tell you, how, or someone you respect a lot or fly down to Alabama and talk to Nick Saban or somebody they can help you if you can't make those decisions, do the right thing. All right. We got one last one, Coach uh, Monty and Torrance. This is a little fun one. He said, I listen to your show every Monday when Coach is on. Last week, I had a laugh as the coach continued to refer to Cliff Kingsbury as Queensbury. Not only, uh, not until you corrected him <laughs> did he realize he'd called his name wrong. It was quite humorous to your listeners. You think you guys might be able to keep calling him Queensberry from now on? It'd be hilarious. Love your show. Thanks, Monty from Torrance and Fight On. It's funny. He might not be on. I mean, we don't know. He's an analyst. So, I mean, he might. He's a former, you know, he was a head coach in the NFL. He might get some other job, but, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But there, there was a fan of the Queensberry talk, coach. <laughs> well, I apologize, too, for calling him the wrong name. I, 
I'm embarrassed about that, uh, but uh, I get rolling in and sometimes forget my own name, okay? And call my one daughter the other daughter's name. So uh, that happens, And uh, but uh, thank you for checking in with us. And again, I wa- before we say goodbye, I want to... I want to thank uh, everyone and say happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays to everyone. And uh, I don't know if we'll do a show next week, Ryan. I don't know if there's a bye week unless something hiring of coaches or whatever might happen. But uh, just in case uh, we miss it, I want everybody out there to know that uh, I'm thinking of all of you. Drive carefully wherever you go. Always buckle up. We hope your team wins. Yeah, Coach, appreciate it. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll be traveling. I know Coach will be out of town a little bit. We got through the whole show without mentioning that USC only had three rushing yards, so I'm pretty happy about that. I oh, thought, God. I thought that would be one of the first up. things you'd say. I know. I thought you that might be one of the first things you'd say, but pretty bad. Yeah, UCLA ended up tweeting out a graphic, like three rushing yards allowed. It's like, oh, that's bad. And I think that came like the final. That's play. embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing against a team that just line up and run twenty-eight pitch and say get out of the way because we're going to run at the next play too. In fact, Anthony Davis had a conversation with him the first time he ever played was at Oregon State, and uh, he was sitting on a bench freezing. And uh, I think John Robinson came over and said, "You're in the next play." He said, "Why, coach? I'm not even warmed up. I haven't stretched. I'm freezing." He said, "So and so got hurt. Manfred Moore. Somebody got hurt." He went in there, and they called 28 pitch, and the first time he ever, ever carried the football for USC went all the way for a touchdown. <laughs> and the second time, the second time he ever carried the ball against Oregon State, they ran it the other way, left, went all the way for a touchdown. So that gives you the old feeling about power and hardness, toughness, and say, here we come, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you. Uh, season certainly didn't go the way either of us thought, um, but just one of those things where, okay, you see where they kind of go from now. Um, all right. So for that's the Coach, uh, Harvey Hyde. I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys all enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 